good morning, church. And let me also say happy Father's Day to you, echoing what Colin said earlier. And let me also just say thank you for your flexibility during this time, during this COVID pandemic. We all have, have to learn more flexibility. And uh, we were online only. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been, had some people in. And now we're online only again, at least for the next two weeks and maybe more. But thank you for your flexibility. Uh, and by the way, beginning next Sunday morning, uh, we will... We will broadcast at 10 a.m. We've been notified that 9 a.m. is a little bit early for a lot of our folks. And so uh, beginning next week, we will make 10 a.m. our default time on Sunday mornings going forward. But thank you for your flexibility and happy Father's Day again. And, you know, I just, I I love the men at Woods Edge, Um, fathers, dads all over the church that I know are, 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 Men who love their families and who value uh, their, their family life. And I, I know there's nobody perfect, but I love the dads, the husbands, the men in general at Woods Edge. And just way to go, men. Way to go, dads, uh, to be the men that God's called you to be. Uh, Gail and I have for some time been in the empty nest stage. And though we enjoy, enjoyed uh, raising our kids, we also are very grateful for this stage. But I wanted to just take a couple of moments and introduce our kids to you. We raised three children ourselves, and uh, they are each married, and so we look at it as we have six kids. And on your far left on the screen, that would be Mike and Sarah Grins, who've been living in Israel. Sarah is our oldest daughter. And then on your far right, that would be Paul and Callie Thomas, Callie is our second daughter, middle child, and then in the middle at uh, their wedding about five or six years ago, that would be John, Paul, and Michelle. And so uh, those are our six children, and we are proud of all of them. Church, every Father's Day, every Mother's Day, I am keenly aware that for many people at Woods Edge, this is a tough day for various reasons. Maybe uh, you, you have lost a child in the last year due to miscarriage or death. Maybe some of you men would love to be dads and it's just never worked out, never happened. Maybe you have had your hearts broken by a child and it's just more painful on Father's Day as well as Mother's Day. Some of you have lost your dad in the last year and that's painful. Uh, Some of you had a very difficult relationship with your dad growing up and you you feel the, the, the the pain, especially on a day like Father's Day. So I I just want to say that I'm aware of it, church. I hurt for you, with you. But but God knows and God understands and God can heal your heart. I love the description of God in 2 Corinthians 1, which says that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is. And just want to encourage you to go to Him. and, And God uses other people. And so I encourage you to share your heart, of not just with this kind of pain, but any kind of pain, with your journey group. Uh, our regen class that we've just started is tremendous for this, these kind of situations, but really for all kinds of pain and need for healing. We also have lay counselors, trained lay counselors at our church, as well as we refer folks to professional counselors for, for all of those things. Those are some resources. 
I've been intrigued, I've been intrigued, church, over the years by the power of fatherhood. That is, by the, the powerful influence that fathers have on children. And sometimes if you just stop and think through how many movies really deal with fatherhood. And I'm a biography reader, and I've noticed how in biographies how many people, how many well-known people have been influenced by their fathers. A year or so ago, I have a close friend, a pastor down the city, Taylor Entz, and he said, Jeff, you really need to read the autobiography of Andre Agassi entitled Open. And uh, Taylor was just very emphatic that you need to read this book, Jeff. And, and Taylor knows that though I am a sports fan, I'm not particularly a tennis fan. I don't play tennis myself. And so I resisted Taylor's recommendation, even though Taylor and I sync up so closely with our reading tastes. But he insisted. And at one point, he said this to me about Andre Agassi and his biography, autobiography. He said, Jeff, it's about the father. It always is. And he said it about in that tone. It's about the father. It always is. And then I think Taylor uh, sent me a copy of the book, so I finally read it. And he was right. It is an exceedingly powerful biography, autobiography. And he is correct that uh, so much of it grows out of the influence of his father, which was largely a negative influence in Agassiz's case. But the power of fatherhood. Our Lord was once asked, what was the greatest commandment? Of all the 613 commandments in the law, which is the single most important commandment for us to obey? And I was and it's interesting, Jesus does not reply, well, they are all the same. They are all God's commandments. He doesn't say that. Rather, he answered and gave a specific commandment, and he answers immediately, emphatically, unequivocally. And I'd like to read that passage in the, in the Matthew's version, Matthew's gospel, Matthew 22, when Jesus asked this most important question. So I'm going to begin reading at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is God's holy word. Now, fascinating that Jesus was asked for the greatest commandment, singular, but he responds with two commandments, plural, as if you cannot have the one commandment without the other one, as if there is a 1A and a 1B, and you've got to have both of them together. Now, this morning, we are going to focus on the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm going to unpack this one brief verse quoted 
originally found in Leviticus 19, quoted by Jesus as the second greatest commandment. And I'm going to unpack this as it applies to parenting, parenting um, with parents and children. Because when it comes to loving your neighbor, would you not put at the top of that list your spouse and your kids if you've got a spouse and kids? I mean, they would be the top of our list of neighbors, and the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbors. So I'm going to unpack it as it regards parents and their children. Now, let me say to those of you who are not parents or who are not active parents that just about all of these principles are going to apply to the way we love people in general. So this has relevance for all of us because this commandment, love your neighbor, is absolutely vital for every single one of us. But we are going to focus our examples and our applications on the way parents love their kids. So what does it mean for parents to love their children? Let me start off with a Ross Campbell quote. Ross Campbell, in his classic book, How to Really Love Your Child, says this. He says, most parents have feelings of love for their kids, but so many parents do not express this love so that children feel loved. They mean well, but don't know how to express it. And so this question, I'm so this morning, I'm going to raise the question, not just how do parents love their children, but how do parents express this love for their children? And I, I am going to give us 10 critical ways for parents to love their children, 10 critical ways. For you active parents, uh, these will not be uh, new for you, but they will be reminders for us. We all need reminding of things that we know. Number one. How do parents love their kids? Number one, tender affection. Loving your kids means tender affection. That is, touch, hugs, smiles, tears, saying the words, I love you. Children need to feel warmth and affection from dad. The unsmiling, stern face, never touching, never hugging, stoic, silent father is not how to love your kids. And maybe some of you men might think to yourselves, well, I just wasn't loved, I just wasn't raised that way. That's just not who I am. Well, let me gently chide you to say, big deal, that's not the way you are or the way you were raised. Do it anyway. God will give you grace. It doesn't matter what you feel like doing, but what your child needs from you. When Jesus went to the cross. He did not feel like being crucified, but that is what we needed him to do. And love involves not what we feel like doing, but what the person we are loving needs from us. If I could again quote Ross Campbell, the Christian psychiatrist, in his book, How to Really Love Your Child, he talks about the importance of touch, which is one aspect of affection. He says, Research shows that few children receive enough of it. Preschool girls receive the most, five times as much as little boys. That may be one reason why little boys have six times as many psychiatric problems as little girls do. And let that sort of soak in. Fathers especially have a difficult time giving adequate loving physical contact. Some men are afraid that if they give too much physical contact, 
to their sons, they will become effeminate or homosexual. But the exact opposite is true. If a boy is going to have a healthy sexual identity, he needs to feel close to the most important male in his life, his father. The more love he feels from his father, the stronger his sexual identity will be. Sobering words for every parent. The first trait, tender affection. Number two, firm discipline. Loving your child means firm discipline. There must be the balance of both tender affection and firm discipline. Dr. Burton White, another psychiatrist, Harvard Medical School, led a 10-year research project on the youngest of kids, birth through age three. He led a team of 15 researchers studying these very smallest of children. And he concluded at the end of this 10-year research program that the best parents were firm disciplinarians while simultaneously showing great affection for their children. So both love and authority, both authority and love are both critical. And God models both of these beautifully and perfectly. In God, our Father, the only perfect Father, we have infinite, tender love, and we have authority and discipline. In fact, Hebrews 12, we see God's love for us in His discipline. Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so the point, very clear in Hebrews 12, that God disciplines us because he loves us. Discipline, authority, order are part of the love of God for us, and it's part of the love of parents. Discipline gives children a sense of security that they need. It says to them that you, their parent, cares enough to give them boundaries and consequences. Now, some parents over the years have mistakenly felt that, you know, I just want to be my child's friend. But, but children growing up need from you to be more their parent than their friend. You be more their parent, and you be the friend the rest of their life. So, first, tender affection. Second, firm discipline. Third, focused listening. Church, loving your children means focused listening. I don't, I don't say half-hearted listening or distracted listening, but focused listening. Listening is so powerful. Every child needs to be heard and understood by dad and by mom. A Smithsonian magazine once featured a master stone carver from England named Simon Verity, who honed his craft by restoring 13th century cathedrals in Britain. As the authors watched him work, they noticed something very interesting, and this is how they described his work. He says, Verity listens closely to hear the song of the song of the stone under his careful blows. 
a solid strike, and all is well. A higher-pitched ping, and it could mean trouble. He said a chunk of rock could break off. He constantly adjusts the angle of the chisel and the force of the mallet to the pitch, pausing frequently to run his hand over the freshly carved surface. Verity understood the importance of his task. He knew that one wrong move could be devastating, causing irreparable damage to his work of art. His success was rooted in his ability to read the signals sung by his stones. And in a similar way, parents need to listen to the music of their children, especially during times of confrontation and correction. It takes a great deal of patience and sensitivity to discern how the child is responding. But if you listen carefully, our children will tell us what they're thinking and feeling. By honing your craft of listening, we too can become a master carver who creates a beautiful work of art. Now, just think with me, church. Just here is this stonemason who is just so attentive to what he is hearing when he taps on the stone. How much more should we as parents give every ounce of energy to listening attentively to our precious children, no matter what age they are? Paul Turnier, a renowned Swiss psychologist, wrote, it is impossible to overemphasize the immense need humans have to be really listened to, to be taken seriously, to be understood. No one can freely develop in this world and live a full life without, finding, without feeling understood by at least one person, and that ought to be mom and dad before anyone else. Church, I wish I could just kind of reach through your screen and just... Uh, just get our attention of the importance, no, of the power of listening. It's a challenge, though, isn't it, parents? <laughs> Some years ago, when our youngest child was a toddler, he was about three years old, I was speaking on parenting, and I concluded uh, talking about listening. And then, over the next 10 days, twice, John Paul, a toddler, calls me out about not listening. He, he says something like this. He says, Dad, you cannot just say, uh-huh, when I ask you a question. You cannot just say, yeah, or uh-huh, when I ask you a question. Twice in the next week and a half, he called me out. And so here I am speaking on listening, and I need to raise the bar. And, and, and I know parents that it can be hard, but it is oh so crucial. Look deep into their eyes. The greatest obstacle to you listening to your kids well, to your loving your kids well, is probably your phone, your ubiquitous phone. And I would urge you, if you are in the same room with the, one of your kids, that you put your phone away, put it in your pocket, put it over to the side, and turn it off. In fact, that's probably a good idea if you're in the room with anybody to turn your phone off and put it away because that child in front of you is more important than whoever it is calling you or texting you. And you're saying to your child by not glancing at your phone continually or even answering your phone that you are more important to me. 
So why let somebody else that you're not so close to interrupt that time and take precedent over your own child when you're listening? You know, uh, phones can be the best of things, but they can also be the worst of things. And we would be naive to live in this day and age where the phone is such a big part of our culture, not to be aware of how it is hurting our parenting and how it is hurting us from loving our neighbor as ourselves. So church, when I'm talking about focused listening, I'm not talking about the listening the way I was with John Paul when he calls me in. I'm not talking about, you know, kind of looking at somebody with a blank stare or even uh, not, not even really looking, but I'm talking about engaging them, looking in their eyes, asking questions, probing, letting them know that they matter to you. Okay, third way to love your kids is by focused listening. Fourth way, be there, be there. It means being there when it, when it counts, especially. The absent, fa- the absent father cannot convey love. Certainly, this includes the big events in life like things at school and sports and contests and piano recitals and graduations, uh, big events. I, I'll never forget when uh, this hit me so hard. I, uh, John Paul, our youngest, was a freshman in high school. Our girls had both gone on to college. But I was on a mission trip to India. And this was late February. John Paul was a freshman at College Park High School, the first year that we opened up College Park High School. He was a point guard in the basketball team, and this was the final game of the season against their big rival, uh, the freshman team at Woodlands High School. And I can remember uh, this trip that I had scheduled probably months before. I can remember that Friday night in late February, eating by myself in a restaurant in northern India, by myself and thinking, what am I doing here in India when my son has his biggest game of the season at home? And I made the decision right then and there that I would not miss another one of his high school basketball games, if at all possible. And over the next three years, on one occasion, there was a, a wedding of some people who I was close to that I, I, I missed one game. But outside that, I just didn't miss because I was going to be there and convey how important he was to me in his big events. I know some of you, many of you, may travel for work, and, and, and you've got to choose what you miss, what you don't miss. But, but for all of us, we can, we can be very intentional. Here are the things that I cannot miss. Now, when I say be there, I'm talking about not just the, the big events, the highlight events, but also the low, th- low times. You know, Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, both the highs and the lows. Biggest challenge here, probably even more so than traveling, would be workaholism, you know, the, the need for all of us to set healthy boundaries for our work. But you know, that there are those boundaries that we're, we have enough time with our kids. And, of course, that means not just being present physically, but present mentally and emotionally. How I have struggled with that over the years of, of being present physically, but being preoccupied with ministry and things at church. Okay, fourth way, to love your child. Be there. Be there. Fifth way, give them freedom. So loving your child means to give them space 
give them freedom. If the last principle was be there, this one is almost don't be there all the time. If you are what's called in our culture a helicopter parent who is always hovering nearby, who is, who is uh, nervous, over-nervous perhaps, about their welfare, then you risk raising an emotional cripple. Just be aware of smothering your child. Moreover, not only must we give our children freedom, but we must give them increasing freedom as they get older. It is almost as if from the time the child is born until they get somewhere about 18, that we give them an increasing amount of freedom so that they feel secure in being uh, some distance from us so that one day they are comfortable and healthy to leave home. That means maybe put them in the nursery when they're small. They'll, they'll survive it. it. It means let them go to camp when they get a little bit older. It means let them stay overnight with a trusted friend or a grandparent. It means give them increasing freedom and independence as they grow, to, grow older. Also give them freedom to be different than you are. So many of us, you know, maybe our tendency is to sort of want to live our life through our kids, and that, that can be a real danger for all parents. Give them freedom to be different than who you are. Fifth way, to love your child, give them freedom. Number six, loving your child means you encourage your child. Encourage. You are your child's biggest cheerleader. This is affirmation. Become a master of affirmation and encouragement. You've got a great voice. You are such a good sister. You're so pretty. I love the way you shared your toys with Timmy. One of the better biographies that I've read over the years was the biography of Norman Schwarzkopf, entitled, It Doesn't Take a Hero. Now, Schwarzkopf was the top U.S. military commander during the first Gulf War. A lot of publicity in the early 90s. During World War II, his father, Colonel Schwarzkopf, was stationed in Iran. And one of the gifts that his father sent him from Iran was a 300-year-old Persian battle axe. Schwarzkopf noted, he said, For my 10th birthday, a lethal-looking thing about two feet long, inlaid with silver and engraved with Farsi verses, and an inscription that said it was intended for a young nobleman. With this axe came a letter in which my dad called it a prediction of your worthy success in the battle of life. And he spoke warmly about his love and ambition for me. Quote, his dad wrote, it really is something to have completed the first decade of your life and to look back over the years and realize all the joy and pleasure that you have brought to mommy and me. The grand association with your lovely sisters. <clears throat> your accomplishments and realizations, your friends, your experiences and progress along the way. I am proud of you, my boy, and look into the augury of the past and see a glorious future. Deep in mommy's heart and my heart lie unspoken hopes and ambitions for you, an abiding love and understanding and the knowledge that the success of our lives will be written in your deeds. So in all kinds of ways... We need to communicate the message to our child, I am so proud of you, I love you, 
and uh, I'm thrilled with a young boy or girl you are. And, and, and your child never gets too old to hear this. My father still says the, gives me the kind of message, I am proud of you, and you never get too old for it. So parents, the sixth way that we love our, ch- our child is to encourage and to affirm. Seven, teach. Seventh way to love your child is by teaching them. Moreover, the most important way that we teach is not so much with our words, though there is a place for that, but with our lives. By modeling, we model what it means to love God, to love people. We model what it means to love His Word and to meet daily with God in in prayer and Bible reading. We, we, We model what it means to love and care about people who are hurting and oppressed. And in light of everything that's going on in our nation, let me say, Uh, loving people who look differently than we do of other races, other ethnicities. We model what it means to reach out to lost people and to care about our neighbors and to pray for our top five. We we model what it means to love your spouse. We, We need to model how to keep calm and not scream and rant at people who uh, maybe are not great drivers uh, that we uh, encounter on the road. We, we, we model what it means to walk in humility. We, we, we teach our children by modeling, by becoming the people that God wants us to be, by us loving the Lord, the first commandment. Moreover, there are times when we need to seize the teachable moment uh, when an issue comes up. You're in a grocery store and, and across the store a, a parent has lost their temper with their child. Maybe you seize the, the moment you get down on, on eye level with your child and, and maybe you mention a simple verse that you have memorized, say you pull out Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And, and, and maybe at times uh, when you lose your temper, you apologize to your child so, so they learn uh, that, that, you're, that mom and dad aren't perfect. They know that. In addition to the teachable moment, of course, there are some things that we need to be intentional about teaching our kids. Things like uh, uh, how, to use, how to handle money, avoid debt, pay off your credit cards each month. I mean, that's one of the critical lessons parents convey to their kids uh, as they grow up. We, we need to, to teach them that God is first in our lives, and so He gets the first 10% of our income in a concrete, tangible way. We need to teach the, about the importance of friendship and how to select friends. And, of course, all kind of practical things about driving and shaving and tying a tie and how to cook and how to iron and, and how to look somebody in the eye and give a firm handshake, uh, how, how to ask questions uh, of people and not just always, uh, you know, kind of be, be the one who's asked questions. We need to teach our kids how we persevere through a tough situation Certainly, they don't need mom and dad to always be rescuing them and enabling them and taking up for them. They need to learn how to persevere. All this and more. I've got a close friend who lives now in Jacksonville, Florida. Used to be on our staff, Doug McCary. He is ex. He is Doug is ex FBI and ex Marine fighter pilot. Today, he is a Christian speaker, evangelist, has men's ministry, men's radio show. A few years ago, Doug and I were talking, and he was giving this example about his youngest son, who was at that time in the Special Forces. 
And he tells me that uh, they were watching television one day, and a woman in a bikini appeared on the screen, and he noticed that his youngest son, now in Special Forces, quickly looked away. And Doug saw that and just asked him, oh, why did you do that? And he replied, because I saw you doing it. And then Doug went on to tell me that when his oldest son was a Christian, and when his oldest son was growing up, that he wasn't mature enough in Christ to look away. But by the time his youngest son was, he looked away, and his son learned that. We teach by modeling. We're always teaching our kids. Sometimes we use words. So the seventh principle in loving your kids is to teach them, and especially by example. Number eight, say, I'm sorry. Loving your child means apologizing. Every parent makes mistakes. Of course, our goal is not to be perfect or appear to be perfect, but to be real. Our kids know we're not perfect, but they so appreciate it when we can own up to our mistakes and how our children need to learn to own up to their mistakes and take responsibility. When you lose your temper with your kids, when you don't listen well, when you falsely accuse them of something, when you haven't been there for them, when you um, in any way let your kids down, have the courage to say, I am so sorry. I was wrong. Dad was wrong. Mom was wrong. That means so. That says to your child, I love you. I love you. Parents, how can I emphasize this one more? Your child needs this to have a healthy marriage because it's absolutely critical in marriage that we be good forgivers and quick forgivers and we own up to our own mistakes. If, if parents cannot say, I'm sorry, then all these other ex attempts to express love will be greatly weakened. So the eighth way, to love your kids, say, I'm sorry. And of course, at all ages. Number nine, pray. To love your child means you pray for your child. You pray with your child. You pray for your child. You pray over your child. You pray. This is the most powerful thing that you can do for your kids because prayer accesses God's power, not just your power. This is not just what you can do to help them, but what God can do. I'm so interested in the New Testament how Paul was forever telling his disciples, his spiritual children, how he's just always praying for them because that says to them that they mattered to Paul, that he loved them, and, and parents have got to say that to their kids, and they've got to do that, to be praying for their kids and with their kids. So the ninth way to love your kids is to pray for them. One more, a little bit counterintuitive. Don't make your kids all important. Loving your child means that you do not make them the center of your world. This is a big danger, and it is also uh, an area of tension and difficulty because clearly your kids are very important to you, very important. But if you make them the most important thing in your world, then that will backfire. And first of all, it's idolatry because whatever is first in your life, if it's not God, it is idolatry. But, but it's more than that. It's dumb. Children don't need the pressure of being everything to you because if they are everything to you, then they intuit that your happiness depends 
on how they are doing, and that is a pressure they do not want. Parents, I am saying to you, love your kids, but love God more. God is so wise when he calls us to say, love the Lord your God first. Make God alone first, and then we can better love our spouse and our kids and our neighbors. Make God first, not just in your words, but in your lives. Show up at church on Sundays. When we get back from COVID uh, pandemic, that is, show up at church on Sundays because a little child, they read that as mom and dad value God so much that uh, every Sunday, if they're in town, they go to church. In other ways, in every way, follow the Lord, make him first, and your child will pick it up. Don't make your kids the center of your world. Okay, those are 10 ways. Wrapping it up, let me quote one father who looked back on years of parenting, and he wrote this. Quote, if I were starting my family again, I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen to my children more, even to the littlest one. I would be more honest about my weaknesses and not pretend perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Rather than focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things with my children. I would do more encouraging. I would bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things. I would speak about God more intimately out of every ordinary thing, of every ordinary day, I would point them to God. Church, I love you guys, and I so want the best for you, including when it comes to your parenting. How, how are you doing when it comes to loving your kids? Or if you don't love your kids, and, or if you're not an active parent right now, how, how are you doing when it comes to, to loving your neighbor in general, people at work, people in your neighborhood, others that you're around? What is the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? Now, now parents, let me caution you. that There is no greater challenge in life than parenting. It, it, it just, as someone said, it brings us great vistas of our own inadequacy. So, You've got to beware of kind of living in a low-grade guilt about your parenting because none of us are perfect. We've got to live in grace. It will do you no good or your kids no good if you live under a constant cloud of guilt and condemnation. Claim the grace of God no matter what your failures have been. Rest in the blood of Jesus and with renewed love from God and forgiveness, then we are freed up to love our kids as God has called us to. So depend on His grace and then depend on the power of the Spirit to give you grace in these 10 ways. Tender affection, firm discipline, focused listening, be there, give them freedom, or don't be there all the time, encourage, Teach, say I'm sorry, pray, don't make them all important. Church, this is God's charge to every parent 
when it comes to their kids. Love them. Love them. Love them. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you that you love us perfectly. That you are the perfect father, the perfect parent. And you're the only perfect parent. Lord God, we rest in your grace where we've blown it. And we rest in the power of your spirit, Lord God, to give us grace to either love our children that we're raising or grown children or other people. Because we know, Lord God, this is your mandate. to Love your neighbors yourself. We want to do that. Friend, if you're sensing the Spirit of God just calling you to receive His love, do that this morning. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, just open your heart. You need the love of the Father, the perfect Father. Just receive it. Receive it now. Jesus, I need a Savior. I need your love. And He'll give it to you. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Christ's name.